Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is brought to you by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a company run by Joe Ross, who's a former Army fullback, former Army assistant coach, former Army officer. We also had Joe on as a guest on the Black Knight Nation podcast. If you go to our YouTube channel, you could find Joe's uh, interview in our archives. You could also find Seth Neiman's interview in our archives, uh, Jody Glor's interview in our archives. We've had Mike Mayweather on. We've had a bunch of Army um, former Army players uh, on the Black Knight Nation podcast. We really appreciate everybody uh, stopping by. And tonight we have, uh, man, I, w- I was thinking about this uh, 50, almost 50 years ago, the first um, Commander-in-Chief's trophy was contested. And, and the Army's first game in the Commander-in-Chief's trophy series was a game between uh, Air Force. And now you think of uh, coming up on Saturday, um, Army and Air Force will play at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. And the first time Army and Air Force met when the commander and trophy, a chief's trophy was at stake, Ed Francis and, and Bob Hines were playing in that game in 1972 at Mikey Stadium. And guys, uh, such an honor to have you have you on tonight to talk about that game, that season, that team. And uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. Oh, thank you, Sal. Great to be here. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, um, so... I was talking to Ed before we came on the podcast and I was telling him my only references to the 1972 team, why I was a beat writer was um, the last army team to beat a ranked team. Uh, that air force team was ranked number 19 in the country and that's army's last win over a ranked team. So you're going back 50 years now. Um, right. And I did, you know, I knew the score and I knew some of the things that happened in that game, but then to see you guys, uh, what was it last Saturday? Um, a bunch of players from the 1972 team be on hand at Mikey Stadium, and in between, I believe the third and fourth quarters, right. be honored um, for what you guys had accomplished. I was sitting in the stands and the upper deck, and to see the line um, of former uh, former players from that team, how long it was, and to see the ovation and the respect that you guys got, which is well deserved, was was it was a really incredible experience for me. And I just wondering, um, I don't know if you uh, you guys were there, but I mean, just what 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 that year meant to. Maybe we could go to both of you guys and what that meant to you, the memories, and um, maybe if you were there during uh, during the the honoring um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, I I'll go to, to me, Sal. You know, fifty years went by very quickly, but what really made it go by quickly was that I, I get to see a lot of a lot of our teammates almost every year at the AFC golf tournament or other events. So we were a very close team. Uh, no matter what, what we did, uh, we're always getting together whenever we can. And like I said, every year, our team has the most people come back to the AFC tournament. We have at least 20, 23, 25 people. 28 people some years. So I think every, every year we had the most people come back. So, so we are a very close team. And uh, anyway, that, that's one of the things that I mostly remember is that we, we stuck together as a team, win or lose, we stuck together. Ed, what are your, what are your yeah. memories? Um, I, I, uh, that, that, especially that last year, 72, the highs and lows were, were absolutely insane. I, I personally broke my leg about uh, two weeks before the season, so I had to uh, recover or, or recuperate before getting back on the field about halfway through the year. But going through on the sidelines, the low of Nebraska and then uh, the high of uh, Texas A&M, and, and that was the way that season went. We had uh, we had highs and lows, and uh, we, we won the games we should have won, we lost a couple of games that we could have won, and uh, we we uh, had a couple of tough games against uh, against uh, Penn State and uh, and Nebraska. But uh, I will never forget the atmosphere that preceded <clears throat> the Air Force game at the academy. It was it was the most intense time in the four years we were there. Uh, people were fired up. Uh, Air Force was you know, ranked and had a couple All-Americans. Um, they were supposed to kill us, uh, as was Navy when we played Navy. So it was it was a it was a great 
a great time. And, and the other guy you have in this, um, this podcast right now uh, was the primary reason we were we were successful in both the Air Force and Navy game because between the two of them, I think he almost had 400 yards by himself. So that doesn't happen in many games. Most backs don't get 400 yards in a season, let alone in two games, the most important games in your life. In those games, right? I mean, the service academy games usually, even I'm guessing back then, right? The, the, um, both teams knew the schemes, right? You, you were they scouted you scouted each other well, and those were like you look at your game, 17-14 against Air Force. You know, it was I think it was 24-15 against Navy. Yep. Those those games are tight games. They're you know every play, every snap counts type of games. And Bob, I mean, you were like like Ed was saying. Um, I guess you you got to still have fond memories of those Air, Air Force and Navy games of 72, right? Yes, we, we do. And uh, as Ed will recall, most of that year we played in, in the rain or Mikey <laughs> Stadium was a very muddy field. And we only played 10 games that year. But, uh, I mean, that's one of the things I mostly remember. Uh, I was moved to back that week due to, due to an injury of Bruce Simpson. Because the week before we went to an eye formation, I was the fullback and Bruce was the, the halfback. And uh, John Makovic, if you recall him, he was our backfield coach, uh, moved me back to tailback after Bruce got hurt. But uh, but being a, a sloppy field was conducive to my type of running. But without doubt, we I couldn't have have had that many rushes if it weren't for our defense. You know, they they had that, I believe. They intercepted six times that day. Yeah, and our offensive line. Yeah, they we went three yards in a, a cloud of mud. You know, <laughs> a cloud of mud. Yeah, and that was our strategy that day, just to keep the ball away from. I think their quarterback was Haney, or I forget their quarterback's name, but to keep the ball away from them because, as you mentioned, Air Force was number seven, 19 that year. And uh, we had to keep the ball away from them, but it was truly a, a team team effort. Yeah, um, I guess forty nine yard touchdown right in the fourth quarter for for Bob to give Army the lead, and Army would help hold on to it. And you and you guys talked about how anticipated that game was, right? And um, you look back at some of the current, the recent Air Force and Army games that are going down to the wire. Last year's game was an overtime game, right? Um, and it seems like, you know, the last two times I just wrote about it, Army's been the underdog like for four straight years now in the, against Air Force. And they've won the last two and they're looking for three in a row and, against Air Force. And I guess, like you said, you guys were, I guess, considered the underdog against against Air Force in your, in your 72 game. And I guess the mentality in the locker room, right? I mean, can you guys describe what that was like, like pregame and then maybe – I don't know. Did they? Did you guys sing the album Monitor back then after wins too? No. And what was the? What no. was the? Um, no, you didn't. So what was like the post game like? What was pregame and post game like for, for in that game? <laughs> well, well, pregame we always went on on a team walk, whether at <laughs> that trophy point or or was it the Washington Monument somewhere? Yeah. But where where Steve Bogosian, our captain, gave the speech. And you know, Tom Cahill, of course, gave us a little talk. But generally, before the game, once in the locker room, Cahill did his normal speech. You know, backs get up and run, linemen block and defense tackle. And uh, but keep your heads up and give 110 percent every play. And you know, that that basically was a speech. Uh, but but the effort, but. The remainder is really left up to us to stick a stick as a team and everybody give 110% and just go out there and play your best. I think uh, my my recollection of the that whole thing was that uh, you know our, we had some good coaches John McAvick he mentioned and we had a sort of advisor coach Bill Carpenter who's the you know lonesome end who was really probably one of the most inspirational people who was about it around us. But for the most part, our coaches um, weren't really the inspiring type, I would say. Uh, for sure, Tom Cahill was was more of a, you know, a, a field general type, uh, it, it, he seemed, you know, not not going to get you fired up to run down the the uh, 
onto the field. But uh, you know, it was it was pretty much left up to you what what you thought and what you uh, how you uh, how how what your constitution was. I'll say you know going out there on the field. Uh, so it was it was not it, when I see Coach Monken today, I'm I'm very impressed with what he does to get people united and fired up and almost give them a mission statement going down the tunnel, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess you guys, um, when you're looking at a coach, like you say, to get, get the team rallied and stuff like that, Munkin set, no doubt is, has done that with the program. Um, guy, you probably, guys would probably love to play for him, I'm guessing, right? A guy that oh, you would yeah. definitely want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an aspiring coach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing is that our the way we played the game was really kind of like an option offense in that we didn't want to throw the ball. We wanted to run the ball. And and that was obvious. You know, we we uh, we, we thought that when you threw the ball, it was like showing your weakness. And, you know, we wanted to pound it down the field. And uh, and, and that that's kind of what suits our mentality at Army. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um. I was going to ask you guys about the rivalry. Was there because that's the first Commander in Chief's Trophy game between Army and Air Force? But was was that the start of the rivalry? Do you think? I mean, because now you you yeah. you know coming up on Saturday, right? The Army and Air Force don't like each other. Obviously, the coaches really don't like each other now. The players, you know, have you know, um, what do you think? Was it that way back then, or was it starting to be that way back then, or was it a friendly uh, rivalry? How would you describe it? I don't recall rivalry being that uh, aggressive with Air Force. Definitely with Navy it was. But Air Force, I forget what year we started playing Air Force every year. But previous to that, it was every other year, I think. Yeah, yeah. right. Then Commander-in-Chief's Trophy started every year playing. But definitely the larger rivalry was with uh, Navy, in my, in my opinion. Uh, but we, we, we definitely wanted to beat Air Force because they were ranked high, highly in the nation that year. And we thought, well, we can make a name for ourselves by beating them. And, and if I recall that year, we, we did not lose two games in a row that year. When, of course, we lost four, but they were spread out throughout the year. You're, 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 you're dead right. You're dead right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I was looking at your we, – we talked about your guys' schedule, Nebraska to open, Texas A&M. At number fifteen, Penn State played Miami on the road. Played Air Force at home. Played Syracuse. Then played Navy too. So I mean, it was a schedule that nowadays, if that was uh, those those three or four Power Fives were on Army's schedule in a season, I mean, that would be that'd be a pretty attractive schedule these days. Um, and back then, I mean, like Ed, you mentioned your sophomore year, your introduction to um. Army football or college football. Can you go over that with us and where you played your first four games of your of your college career? Yeah, well, my my as I was telling you, my recollection is going uh, on the road to play Penn State, Tennessee, Nebraska, and uh, Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. So it was it was a rough sledding, you know. And the the only good thing for us as sophomores at the time was that it depleted the varsity. There were a lot of guys who got hurt. And uh, that was what gave me my first opportunity against Notre Dame. Uh, so, uh, and that was totally unexpected. So, it was it was a war of attrition that year, and we uh, I think we ended up one nine and one, right, Bob? Yeah, we tied Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Tied so it was, it was a it was a it was a really tough year, and it was it was hard to keep your head up, you know, because it was uh, we were getting pounded pretty good. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, when we. Um, when we uh, have have guests, uh, Army, former Army football players on this podcast, we always ask them how they their their road to West Point and how they were recruited or how they they found out about Army. Uh, Bob, do you do you recall your like how you got to West Point? Yes, I I, uh, I was recruited by Bob Mishak, and uh, and I also was recruited by by Navy and. Well, I almost went to Penn State, you know. Uh, if you recall John Capoletti, John went to a, a fellow competitor high school of mine in Philadelphia Catholic School District. He went to Notre, I'm sorry, he went to Monsignor Bonner, now to St. James. I was your head of him. 
but we're both on an all-Catholic team. That's how I got to meet John. But anyway, I was recruited by uh, uh, Joe Paterno at Penn State, but ultimately decided that I would either go to Navy or Army. Uh, and I told my parents that I would go to the first academy that accepted me and gave me a letter. And it so happened that I received a letter from Army one day prior to the letter coming in from the Navy. So, wow. yeah, so that's how it went. <laughs> but, but of course, where I lived, Navy would have been like a two-hour drive, and West Point was being like a four-hour drive. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how about your? Do you have a recruiting story um, to share? Yeah, I do. I, I, uh, when I was a sophomore, I, my friends uh, were over my house at the end of the year one that year. And, uh, they, they said to me that they were going to something called boy state and, uh, they wanted to know if I wanted to go at university of Connecticut. I, I grew up in Connecticut. And so I, I had no idea what the hell it was really, but we went to boy state for a week to learn, you know, what government is like and how to participate in government and so forth. But in the, at boy state, there was a, a cadet who basically spoke to the uh, male uh, participants of Boy State, and at the end of it, he handed out postcards, you know, to send stuff in. So, to have you know information come to you about the admissions process and so forth. So, I took one of the cards and I mailed it in. <clears throat> Over the next year, you know, I started to get all kinds of. I mean, they were mailing me something like once a week. It seemed my parents were getting a little bit excited. Uh, football for me at that point, um, junior year was we were okay, but and I played. I was I was starting as a junior, but um, you know, we ended up six and four that year, but it was very much the same thing that happened to me at West Point, And that is that our class in my high school was a dominant class. We ended up that when we got to be, uh, uh, seniors, there were no two way players. We were all playing only one way. We had so much talent that, uh, we were able to do that. And very few schools in our division would do that. So we ran up, uh, crazy scores and uh, we got national attention. We scored uh, 520 something points in nine games. We're ranked number one in Connecticut, number one in New England and number five in the country behind teams from Florida, California, Texas, and uh, one other, anyway, uh, Ohio. So, you know, that, that got us a lot of attention and being a public school, there really weren't a lot of guys who got who had uh, great grades. So uh, I got a lot of attention as a, as a function of being the leading pass receiver on that team. So I had a ton of schools coming after me, mostly Ivy League, frankly, but uh, Army was one of them. And it kind of, you know, I, I'd already been thinking about Army because of all the information they'd been sending me. So um, that's how I, I got there. That's um. And I guess um, so. Fresh when you guys enter West Point as freshmen, right? Your freshmen are still not allowed to play uh, play right. Uh, varsity, right? So, no. it, there's a plebe team, or what? What? What's that? What's your freshman experiences like? Are you a scout team, or what are you guys doing? Uh, they had a plebe team at the time, and I think George Stork was the, uh, the head coach of the plebe team. But uh, we're basically uh, meat for the varsity, <laughs> but. <laughs> When we scrimmaged them, and, and and prior to the Navy game, uh, they put they brought a lot of plebes up, and we practiced with the varsity at Mikey Stadium. So, but no, we had a separate schedule. Gotcha. So you you were kind of the scout team for the Navy game, so to speak, uh, your freshman year or now? Yeah, basically. Yeah, the uh, us and uh, they had a JVD. JV team as well, so we're like the scout team. So, and I guess then that that is there spring practice your 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 freshman year going into your sophomore year yep. is there spring practice and and what are those Ed? What do you remember from that? And like you said, just kind of yeah, you're kind of waiting your turn so to speak, and um, you know trying to also show that you're you know you're capable of, of getting some playing time back then. <laughs> well, it's a crazy. Uh... I'm not sure what it's like today, but in, in those days, it was a little bit crazy. As I recall, we were limited to 22-hour practices for spring, uh, and a practice was defined as a player, a coach, and a ball. Um, so leading up to that, we had two uh, 
alternating days of training that we would do. Um, and one day was called the room and the other day was called the stairs. I got this right, right, Bob? This is, that's the way it was, right? Yep. So when we go to the room, it was basically one half hour in the wrestling room upstairs and it was organized combat. Uh, there were five or six drills you'd do, um, wrestling stick stuff. I mean, just, uh, uh, monkey, monkey drills where you're rolling. I mean, it was the most intense half hour of our lives in, at that time. Continual movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Continual. And you came out of there just completely exhausted and, you know, wondering why you were doing this. And, uh, the other thing was the stairs where I think there were six stories in the gym at that time. And, and the stories were probably 20 feet tall. So um, we would get on the stairs, those six stories, and you'd have to uh, go up and down and, and perform whatever they were telling you. You know, we were hopping. You were it, at some point you were actually going to carry a person who was your weight up the stairs, those six stories. So uh, it was another, you know, half hour of total chaos that at the end of it, you you knew you'd gone through through the thing. So. That led up to uh, spring practice, and when, by the time you got to spring practice, those 20 sessions were a lot more fun and a lot easier than what you just went through and a lot more meaningful than what you yeah. did. In, in those days, Sal, there was no weight program, weight training. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe our our gym there had one or two weights, and we had weight in line, like 20 deep, and yeah. curls or whatever. There was yeah. no all us machines or anything like that, you know. And, and it wasn't just us. I remember talking to a friend of mine at Penn State at the time when we played Penn State, and they they did not have a weight training program either in the early seventies. And that's when they had Franco Harris and Lionel Mitchell. Yeah. I look at like today, right? They're doing mat drills, and they're out on um, the Foley Athletic Center, and it might be like winter winter like temperatures and the teams together and it's a bonding it, it's a team bonding more just as much as it is like you know getting 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 in shape in that kind of football shape so to speak did you guys consider that team bonding when you're, when you're doing that stuff or or what i mean because i'm guessing you know that's pretty tough and like you know i guess they're trying to fi uh, find who's the strongest um players not just um physically but also uh mentally too in, in those sessions i'm guessing too so yeah i i would say so it was tough and uh we we all had uh we, we kept each other up you know if the, anybody got down we the other person had to bring the person up you know get them up mentally because it physically was tough it was the me mentally if you were if you were tough you made it through yeah so, yeah i actually during that time, I actually um, developed the sort of mentality that that uh, around everything that happened after that, and that was that I, I you could ruin a day thinking about what was going to happen in the room or on the stairs that day. I mean, you could literally worry yourself to be sick, and uh, I I learned to kind of compartmentalize it so that you know I was I was going to go in there, and thirty minutes later I was going to come out that was going to happen so just forget about what happens in between don't think about it and 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 that yeah. that's the way i've treated everything in life since then you know it's whether it's you know some surgery or whatever you're going to go into you're going to go into it and you're going to come out and everything's going to be fine yeah what's hard to imagine sal was like ed mentioned there were five or six stations and each station was a couple minutes long they timed it and there's a coach at each station and it was just continual yelling and, you know, and it was, a, it was a, and an enclosed train, a, a wrestling room, enclosed. <laughs> it was hot, tough to breathe in there and just people yelling at you. And, and we couldn't wait to get out. You know? but, Doors are probably closed. The, the heat's turned up and you guys are like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine it back then. Um can can you um can you guys tell me maybe I just want to ask you this and maybe we'll get into more of your that that seventy two season um what and you talked about the coaching staff there and from what I've talked to Jody what we talked to Jody Glor about too Tom Cahill surrounded himself with a good staff right and I was wondering um 
who who was the most influential coach for you at, at Army, and who was the guy maybe you learned most about, not only on the football field, but maybe outside of football? Because they Army Army football players always talk about you know what they learned on the football field in West Point, how it carried on to them in their service time. And I was wondering, you know, what that kind of staff who might have been like the guys who you might have learned from the most. Well. We were fortunate, I think, as freshmen and even sophomores, uh, Bill Parcell and Al Grow, you probably heard those names before. Yeah. They were coaches there, but I, I would say for me, um, John Makovic came in, I believe, my junior year. And, and, and John was a quarterback at Wake Forest for, when Brian Piccolo was there. Hmm. And John was kind of a I won't say a quiet guy, but he, he's, he motivated you by not not really yelling at you, but just trying to talk to you to be a better, you know, better player. And uh, but he was very uh, very high on being technical, doing doing the right thing. Uh, but he was fun to speak to because he had a lot of experience. And as you know, after he left us, he went to Dallas, head coach of Kansas City Chiefs, head coach yes. of Texas, Arizona State, Wake Forest, I believe. But he definitely had a lot of skill. But I learned a lot from John, uh, even from a coaching technique, just the way he was. So I have to say John Mackley. Was there somebody for you? Yo, know, I agree. John, John was a, he was a good coach and I, I, I liked being around him, but for me, it was Bill Carpenter. I mean, he spent a lot of time around the ends and uh, he, he sort of transcended, um, you know, football, the military and just life in general. He, he had been, you know, had been to war, had won the silver star was you know, a true, a true warrior, but he was a great, great football player too. And he uh, he had a really understated way of criticizing you and motivating you. He never got, he was never intense about it. But uh, and he was always there for for me. He was always uh, outside of football. He was always always uh, providing me with support and and direction. I'll say, but uh, just a just a great guy. And I still talk to him on the phone regularly now, as nice. do as do some of our other teammates. That's it's awesome. Just, That's awesome. Stoic and a rare sense of humor. Oh yeah, yeah. That those those fifty the fifty eight team, right? Yeah, we we talked about we had Pete Dawkins on our podcast, and you know that team, the talent on that team. Um, I believe Bob, Bob Anderson's also on that team, yeah. and yeah. you know um, Bob Novogratz, I believe, is also on that team. And you look at Bill Carpenter, and I mean, wow, I mean. Those There's the reason the why they went undefeated. That. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's even like ho holy cow. The fact that they did have to do that is amazing. Yeah. Um, now maybe we can get touch on the '72 season. I know we talked about it a lot. We're jumping all over the place, but it's great to hear your stories, guys. If you're watching right now and you have any comments or questions, please feel free to uh, send them in, and we'll post them and we'll try to answer them. Um, so th we talked about the start, right, in Nebraska and Johnny Rogers coming in, and. Um, you know, I, I just want to maybe get your guys' opinions about how the team was able to bounce back because I, I Seth Mendelson covers the team for us um, on Black Knight Nation. He has a deep history of watching the team um, you know, back into the '60s, and he he talked to he said you guys were like double digit underdogs at least against Texas A&M, right, for that next game. Mm -hmm. And can you just maybe if you guys like to share your your memories about how you guys were able to bounce back and really. Um, Put, put a hurting on Texas A&M the next week. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, as Ed mentioned, we lost in Nebraska 77-7. It was a national televised game, as I recall. And it was Nebraska's third game. Right. I believe it was our, our first. Yeah, it definitely was our first. Yeah. But uh, I would say after losing, the, we had a hard practice that, that week. And the coaches, they weren't – well. I would have to say they expected us to lose. You know, it's you know we, we worked hard, we wanted to play our best, but 
you know, we did not expect to win. I mean, I'm sure the coaches did not expect to win either. But next week's practice is very hard. And uh, we just all kept our heads up and we weren't, you know, we worked hard that week and we went down to Texas A&M to say we're going to play our best. And hopefully we're going to come out of that, that game with a win. It was a Friday night game. And uh, it came out for the win. Everybody played hard and we won. Uh, now, Nebraska, no, the first play, the first play, Bob Porton, was the other starting back, got broke his wrist and was out for the season. And I forget who their All-American center was, a defensive center. Rich Glover. Rich Glover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bob ran into him first play, and he was out for the season. Uh, that game I was playing flanker, and Makovic moved me back to halfback to Texas A&M game, and that's where I stayed the rest of the year. Yeah, I guess, like you said, you you were um, injured right early early in the season, right? So, you, but did, you were on the sidelines for the Texas A&M game, or no? Oh yeah, I, I only played half the year, the last half of the year. Um, I, I I did actually, and I don't remember why it happened this way, but I traveled with the team, and uh, and I was I was down there on the field uh, at the game. It was uh, the environment was unique. It was so intense, and uh, and we came out, uh, our team came out with uh, just um an intensity about them and uh played that way the whole game it was it was I, I think you know my my impression not playing at the time but my impression just being around the guys was that everybody knew that if we couldn't beat Texas A&M it was going to be a bad year and uh and tech and as Bob said the Nebraska thing was hitting a freight train that was already running and trying to play a team like that on a third, their third game, your first, was impossible. It really was. It was. I, I don't know who scheduled that, but it was. It was crazy. So, so Texas A&M became a do or die, really, and and we did. Yeah, I guess, um, Bob, being a part of that game on the field, I do you think that Texas A did you did you think you were that you surprised them, or did you think that? You, you know, you said you were the better team, no doubt. But you think that the kind because they're probably seeing the score of the week before, and um, do you think that you just were the, the the better, tougher team that day, or what, what were your impressions of that? Well, we definitely were. I'm, I'm sure after watching, after they watched the game film of the Nebraska game, they probably thought we were going to be a, a cakewalk. But we went into the game. You know, we the offensive played hard and the defensive played. They had quite a few interceptions, quite a few sacks. They played real hard, and uh, we together as a team won. And as Ed mentioned, the stadium was rocking, you know, with their corporate depth. And uh, it was a night game. Uh, it was a crazy atmosphere. And that, and as I mentioned, that week we worked very hard. But when we got down there that Thursday before the game, we stayed at some country club, and it was very loose. You know, they we had golf carts we were running around, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, ha having fun. And the, and the coaches saw that, but they made it very light because they didn't want to put a lot of pressure on us, especially after losing to Nebraska. But I, definitely, I, I was happy for them because they were very happy after we won and we upset Texas A&M. You just see the glimmer in their eyes that they, they had a decent team. How many teams these days go out and play golf the day before a big game like that, right? Or just even if you're guys that were just messing around a little bit on the golf court. It doesn't happen a lot these days. Oh, right? no, no. We, we were in golf carts. We weren't playing golf. No, no you were. Yeah. Okay. We were, we're, we're running around the golf course. <laughs> no, there was – there the the, uh, the way we were situated, there was, there was these little villas-like, and we were staying in a dispersed – we weren't like in a hotel. We were spread all over the place. I got and the only way to get from one place A to B was on a golf cart. We all had golf carts. I got you. Got you. Sorry, my my my, my misinterpretation. But I mean, so this we talked about how the season you guys, you know, it was a season where you had a tough schedule, right? And you guys um, may have had some setbacks here and there, but you didn't let that kind of get to you. You guys never lost back to back games. And then you're looking at, you know, this looking at we talked about the Air Force game already. 
Um, are there any memories from the Rutgers game from from any of you guys, or was that just? I mean, I see thirty five twenty eight in there. Is there any kind of um, stories from that game or leading up or after? Go ahead, man. Uh, not really. I think that's the first time we played Rutgers in a long time, as I recall, and we played them in Brunswick, New Jersey, I believe it was. Yep. Um, but it was a it was a bit basically a, a good, good quality game. Uh, offensive, we had a good day. In fact, that game, Bruce Simpson and I both had over 100 yards. First time two backs had over 100 in I don't know how many years. But I remember Bruce having a 79 yard run. He, he took off, and uh, but it was a good game. Yeah, we threw a lot. Uh, I think Dusty Triplett caught a touchdown pass there, and but it was a good game. You know, as you mentioned, we we only won by a touchdown or two, but uh, but it was a good, fun game. Yeah, I, I also see you know you guys have had wins over Lehigh and Holy Cross, and then we get to the Navy game, twenty three fifteen, um, game free Army win. Um, that game was probably high stakes, right? You got you knew the Commander in Chief's trophy was going to be on the line in that game. I'm guessing because you talked about the Texas A&M game, the atmosphere there, right? You play that Penn State. I'm guessing the Penn State atmosphere was pretty good back back then. And also that Air Force game and how, like, just it was, you know, very the, uh, the, the, the circumstances surrounding that game, the great atmosphere there. Did that, do you guys feel already prepared for the, 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 the Army-Navy game? Probably always – Definitely said, Bob, your biggest rival, right? Now you have the Commander-in-Chief's trophy also on the line, too. Do you guys feel like you were ready as far as the, the the atmosphere and what was on the line, that you guys were prepared for everything you went through during the season? Yeah, I, I think so. We, we were we, did, we had a week layoff between, I think, Holy Cross. No, or Lehigh was our last game. Holy Cross. It was Holy Cross. Oh, Holy yeah, Cross. Holy Cross. And uh, we didn't play that well against Holy Cross, but we, we no. finally won. We were lucky to win that one. <laughs> yeah, we were lucky. I remember we, we remember getting chewed out at halftime by the coaches because we were not playing well. But the second half, we came back. Uh, but then we had a week off. We practiced hard. Uh, but we knew the commander-in-chief's trophy was on, on the line. And uh, and to be honest, I know from the offensive perspective, we did not play well first half. In fact, we only had maybe uh, less than maybe a dozen plays. Navy really wow. held the ball most of the half. Yeah. And I remember Bob Mishak just chewing out the whole offense. And uh, But fortunately, second half, defense, Joe Filoni had an interception, and then, then we scored. And then Tim Feaster had that block field goal, and Scott ran for ran, ran the ball for a touchdown, and uh, we finally won. But the first half was not good for us, particularly the offense. And thank God the defense held Navy to you know, a few points they had. Yeah, that's the, that's one thing that I think was almost a consistent um, aspect throughout our two years that we played, our junior and senior years, and that's that the the uh, the defense turned the ball over a lot for us. They really did. And uh, the Navy and Air Force games. I mean, uh, I, there was six interceptions in Air Force. I don't I don't know how many they had in the Navy, but, uh, you know, the, the turnover at the, uh, with the uh, field goal was, was, uh, you know, a game changing event. But what I remember the most about that game was literally sitting down the night before and writing a letter to myself that someday I'm going to read basically to say, you know, what, what's going to happen between now and then, but this is the last time you're going to put this uniform on. And, uh, it's, it's been a nice run, you know, that kind of thing, and play your butt off. In those days, Sal, we had wooden goalposts. <laughs> Which I have a piece of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of these days, I share a story about Ed and his ghost blocking. If it wasn't for my downfield blocking during that, that, that Navy game, he wouldn't have had 50 yards, honestly. <laughs> there's a story if you remember the there's a story about the ghost at west point it was in, in in the old division 47 division i lived in the room next door to the ghost so-called ghost room which it kept vacant 
Okay, and everybody said that the ghost is blocking for me that game. <laughs> but there, there's a picture, I think it was in a Philadelphia Bulletin or something. I was running for the touchdown, and Ed was out there. You were split in, and he was blocking. But there wasn't anybody from 10 yards away, but he was blocking. <laughs> so I call that the, the ghostly block. <laughs> uh, He's in a blocking position, so I always give him heck for that. What, what do you think about that? that is, well, what, what, what he doesn't know that that picture actually is, is also part of a video that's out there. <clears throat> and that video is him running for a touchdown. And I'm I'm literally coming across behind him, and there's two guys that are chasing him, and I don't block them. I just run across in front of them. So he doesn't he doesn't real he keeps busting them on me about you know I'm blocking nobody. But when you see the video, you see what happened. <laughs> Definitely helped you score there, Bob. No doubt. Well, he right. He was he was out there, but he, he it wasn't necessarily the fastest guy out there. <laughs> so afterwards, right, you win that Navy, you win the Navy game 23-15. You capture you capture the first commander in chief's trophy. Um, what's post game like? There is a trophy ceremony there. I mean, are you no. guys there is no trophy ceremony? No, it was no big deal at that time. It really, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, uh, the trophy itself and the commander in chief, that I recall, I don't, I don't remember that being any kind of a deal for us. We no. just, it was part of, you know, sort of a natural process that happened because we beat both teams. But I don't remember there being any big deal, uh, you know, other than hey, we won the first commander in chief's trophy, but you know, okay, great. But now, you know, over time, it's become more and more important. Yeah, because there, there was no trophy presentation on the oh. field it was a few weeks later i think we had a, a right. dinner that's all that the trophy was presented right the mess but, hall you guys got the trophy yeah. pardon you get the trophy at the mess hall wow yeah i believe that's where they brought it in but remember we had a dinner for the team and uh but the trophy is definitely impressive how you sent you a picture of it and when you, when you see it, it's a very impressive trophy yeah, no, no doubt. And so now, I guess that that earns you a trip to the White House. Um, back yeah. then, you guys did not, you guys did not go to the White House. I'm guessing. No, no, <laughs> no. It was a Nixon. Was the Nixon president? It was Nixon. Yeah. Nixon. Yeah. Wow. He, had, he had other things going on at the time. <laughs> true. True. Hey, um, what? Just maybe to to cap this off. I know. Ed, are there any stories that maybe I have another one more last question to ask both of you guys, but are there any stories that you'd like to share about that season, your time that maybe we didn't talk about? Uh, geez. Uh, well, I, I, I would just say that I, I, I reached a point at the end of my, uh, at, at the end of uh, practice the summer before uh, um sophomore year and i i was about to give up i just didn't think i was going to get there because when we had freshman ball there were so many guys out there and there were so many receivers uh so many quarterbacks i think we were five or six deep in quarterbacks and we were probably seven or eight deep in receivers and so forth and i just i felt a little lost but uh but i just tapped i just stuck in there you know and i actually told my parents i thought i was gonna hang them up and uh, then that game happened that I told you about with the B squad where Dick Atha and I both played with the B squad and things turned around. And I mean, I, I talk, talk to my kids about that kind of thing all the time, you know, that you just don't know what's right around the corner for you because my, my life went in my opinion, from a football standpoint, from, you know, I'm just about out of this to all of a sudden um, I'm, you know, in the big time. And so it was, um, you know, I just thank thankful that I stayed in there that extra couple of days, couple or a week or so. And uh, I try to always use that when I talk to my kids about, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Hang in there a little while longer, you know, do do your best and see what happens. But I certainly got lucky and uh, it was it led to the best time of my life. Playing with guys like this, 
<laughs> yeah. Was there anybody that convinced you to st stick around for a couple more days, or was it just on your own intuition? No, no, no. I, I didn't feel like there was anybody I could even talk to. There was at that point I hadn't really even started the relationship with the with the major carpenter at that time, and because uh, I wasn't, I'll say I wasn't worthy. You know, really, I didn't feel that way. You know, it just so uh, no, it was it was a very lonely feeling. Actually, I, I remember that. So, Bob, what's your what's a, maybe a memory that um, that comes to mind for you just about your time at West Point? Because I was going to ask you guys about how you think the the 72 team should be remembered, you know, how you think you guys should be remembered, you know, cause I think that, you know, like I said, you being honored recently at an army home game was, was, was a great, was a great moment, a great thing. But I was just wondering how you guys, how you feel your, your team should be remembered at 72 team. Well, I, you know, after seeing the, the current army teams and you know, they're playing 11, 12, sometimes 13 games, we, we kind of always wish we had the extra two, three games to play. And well, last two years we were six and four. And as you know, winning six games, you, you're entitled to a ball game anymore. But of course, there's a million ball games anymore. But we didn't have the opportunity to go to a ball game. But my basic vivid memory is uh, again, just getting smacked by Nebraska. Then having the big win against Texas A&M, I think, th think that's what really drove our season. You know, have, having that win, giving us the purpose, knowing that we were a good team, we could win some big games, uh, and, and have a very successful senior year. But it wouldn't be successful unless we beat both Army and, I'm sorry, Air Force and Navy, which we did. So to us, it was, was a successful year. I would I would add one thing to that, and that is that you really have to go back and put yourself in the historical context of that time in America, because sure. when we when we all signed up for the academy, uh, I, I remember you know folks in my high school class who looked at me sideways, you know, uh, basically being against the war and being against the military and so forth, and uh, you know while they they had respect for the school. The military was not thought of well. So we went into a, a, a school that for most people or for a lot of people was not at its, I'll say, zenith of public uh, opinion. So we spent we spent a lot of time in there with and, and had a lot of strange things happen. Like at Boston, I remember at Boston College, we saw that that riot down in the center of Boston after a game we played there where cars were overturned and burned police cars. It was a crazy time in this country and the military was not uh, well thought of. So, you know, we were kind of, uh, you know, a little bit isolated, a little bit, uh, you know, off the mainstream. And and yet and I think that helped that helped us to sort of coalesce as a group. You know, we all felt a little bit, you know, like we were uh, uh, on the other side and there was there was another world out there that was uh, different from us. So. Yeah. It was it was a big deal for us in those days. It was not, you know, the moratorium was happening uh, and so forth, and and we uh, we stuck together. So, I I know in the last weekend I was talking to a few few fellow players, and uh, I always said in six was it sixty seven that the Department of Army turned down Army going to the Sugar Bowl. Right, right, right. And I always thought if they played in the Sugar Bowl. It would help recruiting a little more, even though Vietnam was happening, as, as you were talking about, Ed. And if we would have had another yeah. three three decent players, three more over above what we had, we could have probably been eight and two, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, we just had a couple of receivers, right? <laughs> just with the injuries and all. I mean, no. no. But another three or four, you know. Yeah. Better caliber type players, you know, we could have been eight and two, but that's, that's yeah. Just yeah, I was gonna uh, just uh, close this out about how um, how much did football help you guys during your service time? Because, like you said, it's not, it's, you know, things are happening, and then once you graduate West Point, you, you're going in, you go into your uh, active duty time. I was just wondering, like, how being an army football player might because you, you you know this you, you 
see this famous uh, plaque that gets touched every time Army steps on the field. And um, just wondering how that helped you out maybe during your service time or if you if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I think a lot of people recognize that uh, because in the Army, I, I know other platoon leaders, they played for Oklahoma State or you know, they were in ROTC but played for other schools. So you always had that camaraderie. Uh, now, I, I'll tell you, the beginning, the first year, right after our basic course, after we graduated, I went to Ranger School, and playing football did not help me because the NCO Jacks knew you played football, and they were on you. So they just made it worse for you. They, they made it as hard as they could. So, but hey, Any thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the way it helped me was uh, I, I was really lucky um, when, uh, I, I, when I was being recruited. The guy from Connecticut who was the local um, West Point grad was a guy who had been captain of the 52 team, which was the team where Red Blake's uh, son and a whole bunch of that class had been thrown out on an honor violation. And he, this guy, uh, his name is Al Palikas, who's now in the West Point athletic hall of fame he uh he took an interest in me and and was taking me up to west point he after i got out of the service i spent only six years in he helped me find my first job and he hooked me up with a guy named bob st Ange at a company that um that made turbine engines and bob st Ange was the captain uh, or the excuse me the most valuable player on the national championship team that had blanchard and davis on it so wow and that just started this whole series of events where I, I seemed, it seemed as though at every fulcrum of, or every uh, note of my career, I was somehow cycling back to an army football player or at least an academy guy. And, and it was uh, helping me and it, and it, it helped me all the way through my career. I had three major changes in my career and they were all, um, they all worked out very well and there were academy uh, graduates or football players in most cases involved in that. So it was, it was for me, it just kept coming back and paying dividends. It's great. Yeah. You talk, we talk a lot about the army football brotherhood and how strong it is and how it, it passes through generations and generations and how um, some players who played thir 20, 30 years ago are connecting with current players through letters and you know, just keeping that line going. And I, when you guys go play, um, the Army Football Club golf outings, too. That's another thing, right? When you see the different players from each um, decade, so to speak, of Army football. And I, I, I've i gone to those um, socials the Friday night before the golf outings, and they're really special times to see the history of the program, right? And, man, you, you guys were certainly an important part of the history um, of the program yourselves, that 72 team. Like we said, the first team to win the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy in its first year competition. And now here goes Army uh, – you know, 50 years later, looking to um, win the first leg of the Commander in Chief's Trophy Saturday against Air Force. Um, Ed and Bob, we really appreciate your time tonight uh, sharing your stories. It was great having you on. Um, guys, please check out our YouTube channel for Black Knight Nation. You can see interviews like this. Give us a like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out our social media, check out blacknightnation.com. Just had some stories on. Um, the line army is underdogs guys by six and a half uh, on Saturday against air force. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how yeah. that goes. Hey, we were too. <laughs> you know? Never know. Right. Sure. Same thing. Same thing. 50 years later, it's the same thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes for the black Knights, but guys, thanks so much for your time and look forward to speaking to you guys down the road. And uh, it's been awesome having you guys on. All right. Thanks a lot, Sal. Appreciate thanks, it. So. Yep. And, and it was great to see you too, Bob. I know we don't see each other very much though. That's right. <laughs> same, same here. Take care. Thank you.